Welcome back to the Sports Media Watch podcast. This is John Lewis, joined as always by Drew Lerner. If you have not already, please subscribe to the SMW podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. So it's now 2024. We're going to get started with some sports media talk about the Rose Bowl and Sugar Bowl, the college football playoff semifinals. Uh, very interesting numbers if you're a ratings nerd because you can see the impact of the late start. Rose Bowl did great. Michigan, Alabama, a uh, tremendous number, 27.2 million viewers. Sugar Bowl, not so much. Uh, 10 million fewer viewers for Washington, Texas, which began after 9, 9 p.m. Eastern and ended after 1 a.m. Eastern. Very difficult to get to the end of the game. Even if you were in the central time zone, it was difficult to get to the end of the game. You're talking about after midnight in half the country. So that game actually didn't really do all that well. 18 million viewers for a college football playoff semifinal, better numbers would be reasonably expected, particularly for semifinals that are on New Year's Day. So the Rose Bowl did great, but you could argue that it, it kind of hurt the Sugar Bowl that it went as long as it did. Uh, but the overall average was 22.6 million, the highest since 2017. And of course, as anyone would guess, the three largest audiences for the semifinals, all the New Year's Day semifinals, not counting the COVID year of 2021. Uh, Drew, I'll bring you in. Let's talk about the playoff ratings. Yeah, certainly some interesting numbers here, John. Um, I feel like it's every year that college football fans are talking about how late some of these playoff games starts. Usually it's surrounding the national championship game being around kicking off around 9 p.m. on a Monday night. That in itself is a little absurd, but I understand why they do it. This, on the other hand, seems like such a blown opportunity for the playoff. You get this huge lead-in number from the Rose Bowl, which peaked at, I think, what, 32 million, 34 million, 32. something around that. Yeah, 32 million. And you got to imagine that was during overtime or close to thereabout. Uh, and you squander, you know, almost half of that peak audience because of how late you're starting the Sugar Bowl. And it's a shame, too, because how often do we actually get two really compelling playoff games? I mean, I would normally sit on my couch and watch nine, ten hours of football for these two playoff games. But I'll be honest, I couldn't make it past the first half of the Sugar Bowl. It was just too late. No, you're exactly right. And the reality of the matter is, when we're talking about, you know, after midnight, after 1 a.m., the viewership's going to drop off. It just has to. People are human, you know? And if you, you can go back to the 2016 World Series, the peak audience wasn't the final, you know, quarter hour. It was, you know, it, it peaked. And then after midnight, even with the Cubs about to win the World Series, going into extra innings, this epic battle, fewer people were tuning in for the end. Uh, so, you know, you mentioned before, you know, the squandered opportunity. And I this is a rare case where the NFL's lack of greed. The NFL is greedy 99% of the time. This one time they were like, all right, it's the playoff. It's New Year's Day. We'll go ahead and step out of the way. We'll put our game on Saturday night. It would have worked out a lot better for everybody to have the Sugar Bowl at one, the Rose Bowl after, and then Monday Night Football after that. And people say, well, what about the Rose Bowl start time, that five o'clock start? Well, the Rose Bowl started at five last year, too, and led into Monday Night Football after. Uh, so I think, you know, that would have worked out better for everybody. But of course, we're moving forward now. It's going to be three playoff games on New Year's Day every year going forward. Every year. 
And maybe a couple of those years, it'll be the Fiesta Bowl, I, I expect, right? Because a couple of those years, the Rose Bowl are, is going to have the semifinals the second week of January. In the old BCS days, when the Rose Bowl wasn't on New Year's Day, the Fiesta Bowl was in that time slot. So maybe in those years, you could get a more reasonable one, four thirty, and eight kind of thing. It's going to have to be one, five, and eight thirty because the Rose Bowl won't budge. And you know the 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 lack of you know just basic flexibility from the Rose Bowl has been a problem for the entire history of this. Yeah. The the Rose Bowl being so stubborn with their starting time and the, you know, parade of roses and all of that, uh, it, it seems very antiquated in today's world of, you know, trying to maximize viewership, um, you know, squeeze every list, little last drop out of that sponge. To me, the other thing is when you're stacking these college football games, if you look at the NFL, they're actually very efficient at how quick they are at getting these games done and how how often they fit into a nice clean three and a half to four hour window with college especially in these playoffs the pageantry of it all really extends the the time of the game you have these playoff games where they're showing the band at halftime the halftimes go 20 25 minutes you know Halftime in the NFL is 12 to 15 minutes. I mean, that 10 minutes makes a big difference. Yeah. And then, you know, all of the, I don't know if it's just me or it feels like there's, you know, more ad breaks in college than in the NFL. I, I don't have the numbers to back that up. But for some reason, these college games just seem to go longer than, than the NFL. And, and that's a real problem when you're trying to stack games one after the other. Yeah, uh, that's an interesting one because it does feel like NFL games are more tightly compact. But it would be shocking if the NFL had fewer ads in college, wouldn't it? Yeah. But uh, I do feel like the the NFL uh, generally stays within its three hour ish time slot, uh, and so college does seem a little bit shaggier in that way. Uh, I think those extended half times you were talking about definitely, you know, but uh, they definitely. You know, it, it's a little bit like, uh, you know, a 10-episode a, a, a series that could have been a two-hour movie. Is it crazy to think that the Rose Bowl, that they're never going to get a, a semifinal, would they? Because yeah, of course. I mean, they, I, I think they would. Well, I mean, wouldn't that just ruin their whole, we have to be on New Year's Day? Yeah, thing? but there's precedent. In the BCS era, twice the Rose Bowl was a national title game, and so the Fiesta Bowl had that New Year's Day slot. One of those years was January 2nd, so really only one year on the actual New Year's Day was the Rose Bowl not in its normal slot, but it has happened. Um, I don't know how it's going to work going forward, because I don't know that the Rose Bowl will always be on New Year's. I don't think it will be. I think it will have to be a semifinal some years. Now, you would think that the other bowls would be fine with the Rose Bowl saying we'll always be a quarterfinal because then it would mean more semifinals for the other bowls. Uh, and, and you would think the semifinals are, are more meaningful. It's interesting because on the one hand, you would think the Rose Bowl would want the higher profile games, right. the semifinals, but that goes against their years and years of tradition. So yeah. one, that... Thing that I, one thing that I'm reading, and you have to go back a couple of years to when this was announced, uh, this is from the ESPN report at the time, is that the Rose Bowl, their opposition, I guess, was based on not wanting to leave that 5 o'clock New Year's Day time slot. 
So the CFP refused to guarantee that the Rose Bowl would remain on New Year's Day at five o'clock. But if the Rose Bowl hosts a quarterfinal every year, then you could easily have them continue to have that time slot. I don't know how they resolve this. My assumption has been that the Rose Bowl would host a semifinal. And there's nothing to indicate that that won't happen. But it is worth noting that the CFP has the dates and uh, years for the first two editions of the 12-team playoff, but not the third. And the third is when the Rose Bowl and Sugar would be scheduled to host uh, semifinals. So we'll see. Right now, my assumption is that come 2020, I guess, six, uh, which, by the way, is the first year of the new rights deal, too. So the, the first year of the new rights deal is the third year of the 12-team format. My assumption is that the Rose Bowl will be on like January 9th or whatever, and the Fiesta will be on in that time slot. But who knows? There's a lot to change between now and then. Yeah, really interesting stuff, John. Yeah, so uh, uh, more stuff from the uh, playoff, obviously not the semifinals or the New Year's Six. The big story, I think, out of those games would be the uh, the Orange Bowl. Uh, and uh, this was uh, Georgia by 60, and it was 10.4 million viewers for that game. Uh, and that's obviously shockingly high for a 60-point route. Obviously, if Florida State had come to play, we would have maybe had a pretty good number. Ultimately, they didn't. A lot of the players decided not to participate. I think that was to their detriment in terms of reputation, because obviously, Florida State, nobody now considers that to be a real snub, because we just saw them lose by 60 to Georgia. And I don't think anybody thinks any of those players are six, make, make a 60-point difference. I mean, maybe, maybe, you know, but like, yeah, actually, maybe they do. Maybe they do. Maybe they make a 60-point difference. I don't know. Hard, hard to speculate on that, but um, yeah, honestly, this, this viewership number surprised me quite a bit. Obviously, the conventional wisdom would be a route this big. You're not going to get a good number. Yeah, exactly. Um, but for me, honestly, you know, I wasn't watching this game at first, and when I saw the score, I kind of was intrigued i said ah, i kind of want to see how bad this gets yeah. almost like if you're watching a you know a car crash from you from the passenger seat of a of a car well i mean hey you'll take it obviously this could have been a much bigger audience had there been any level of competition on the field all right john one last uh big time bowl game here to get to we are talking the cotton bowl most watched in a decade excluding of course years that it was part of the college football playoff this was ohio state and missouri uh, averaged 9.6 million viewers on espn uh what what took this game over the top um nothing i mean ohio state's presence obviously but you got to keep in mind we're also talking about low bars and these are great numbers it's world series level audience 9 million viewers but this is football and you know something i'm going to judge football a little differently than i judge the world series this isn't that amazing of a number. The Cotton Bowl had 10 million viewers on Fox before it was ever part of the playoff just because Johnny Manziel was in it. You know, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not wowed. Yeah, it's, it's a 10-year high. Same thing with the Orange Bowl, honestly. I remember the days when the Orange Bowl was a much bigger deal without playoff implications at stake. You know, and 10 million viewers for an Orange Bowl is not impressive to me. The Orange Bowl was pretty regularly getting at least 11 million viewers with a few exceptions here or there. Florida State and Northern Illinois had 10.6 million in 2013. I mean, granted, that was on New Year's Day. You know, um, to me, 10 million, eh, 
I mean, that that's not it's great for what it was, a 60-point route. But you look back at the the good old days and it's not that notable. Um as far as the Cotton Bowl goes, it's one of the top Cotton Bowl audiences, I guess you could say what 9 million. Um like I said, it definitely had uh uh, what uh, 10 million a couple of times in the Fox era. I think it had 11 million. Yeah. I think one of those Fox games was like 12 million viewers. And that's, again, that's not even a BCS bowl at that time. So I'm not, you know, doing backflips over these numbers. I think they were both better than I was expecting because neither game was any good. The Missouri Ohio state game obviously was not good offensively, but um, you know, I, I wouldn't look at the, if you could make a great argument that college football had an amazing season in the ratings. I don't think those two particular results are the ones I'd point to. Yeah, certainly not. A lot of that driven, of course, by the early season hype of Colorado and Deion Sanders, and then you know maintained through some of the more marquee teams that we've seen, uh, you know, in the playoffs and a, and actually a deep playoff hunt this year. So a lot of meaningful games later in the season. Yeah. Uh, we will come back to college football for the college football playoff final uh in about a week's time but for now let's move on to our final topic which is thursday night football on amazon yeah uh, the headline number from from amazon's press release yesterday up 24 percent from last year that is an average of 11.86 million up from 9.58 million in its inaugural season so john um what do we think about these amazon numbers I think they were great. You know, I only hesitate because I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know why I'm hesitating, but I do think they were great. I just, uh, I'll put it this way. I don't really know why the viewership was up 24% and it's odd. And I'm not suggesting that there was anything to it, but it's just, you know, how seriously do I take this? I, I think it's pretty believable, right? Um, it's the second year of a totally new distribution. You know, having something exclusive to streaming, that's that's totally new for the NFL fan, yeah. especially when we're talking about a sport that generally skews older, um, over 55. Yes. The uptake for those types of viewers is probably a little bit slower than, you know, your average 35-year-old uh, NFL fan. So... Getting some of those people on board probably helps. Of course, Amazon loves to point out their their demo numbers, which I, mm. I know you did a good job explaining in your piece that that might be more a function of the lower overall viewership uh, than, than actually getting more uh, younger people to watch. Why don't you uh, explain that one a little bit? Well, this is kind of more of a, of a Patrick Craig's point, which is that, yeah, okay, Amazon's doing better with younger viewers, but that's because they don't have the same audience base as the other networks. They have smaller audiences that skew younger, which, you know, I mean, I think advertisers are still cool with that. Thursday Night Football may have a much younger median age, but Fox and CBS are going to have more young viewers, which advertisers will obviously uh, benefit from. Now, it is worth noting that... Uh, there is credence to what you've said, which is it's a little slower on the uptake for older viewers. So you might notice Thursday Night Football was up 24% overall, but it was only up 14% and 17% in 18 to 34 and 18 to 49, respectively. Now, that's still great. They were up double digits in those demos this year. But obviously, 
slower than the pace that's overall. That obviously indicates that older viewers were tuning in at a greater clip. Amazon did not mention 25 to 54 uh, once in its in its press releases, so I have no idea what that you know comparison is. I suspect a lot of the growth was probably 50 plus, and so that would get to your point, which is slower on the uptake. Now you know, can we expect to see this growth continue? I mean, what every person 50 plus had to take a year before figuring out that Amazon was hearing Thursday. I mean, I don't know that that's true. But, um, you know, I mean, I, I certainly think that uh, that explains why the younger, why, why, the, why the audience was a bit older this year, why 18 to 34 and 18 to 49 accounted for less of the audience this year. Um, I, I will say, again, you know, that kind of gets back to the skepticism aspect, not really skepticism. The numbers are great. But certainly, you know, Amazon is not necessarily getting more young viewers than the other networks. They're probably getting fewer older viewers than the other networks. So when we're looking at that, that those percentages and, oh, well, they have a higher percentage of young viewers than the other NFL broadcasters. They also have substantially smaller overall averages, right? They average fewer than 12 million viewers this year, a great number for a streaming service, but CBS is going to average 19 million, NBC and Fox, you know, that's a substantial difference. It's about little more than half the audience for, for Amazon. So, uh, you know, you do want to be a little bit skeptical. Um, and I mean, then there's just a simple fact. Something had to change on the Nielsen side. Something had to change. And the, re uh, the reason that I say that is I look at the difference between the Nielsen number last year and the Amazon number last year and the difference this year. So last year, the Nielsen number was 9.6 million and the Amazon number was 11.3 million. That's an 18% difference, right? Amazon's number was 18% higher. This year, the Nielsen number, the traditional number was 11.9 million. And then the Nielsen number that incorporates Amazon's internal data was 13 million. And that's still a difference, but it's a 9% difference. So that Nielsen number is closer to the Amazon number or vice versa uh, this year. I guess you have to figure out what is, this, what is the circumstance that we're talking about? Is it that the Nielsen number came up to meet the Amazon number? Or is it that the Amazon number, when incorporated into Nielsen's existing you know, panel, uh, is lower than if it was just Amazon alone, calculating that? Uh, it does kind of make a difference because if it's the latter, then there's really no problem. But if it's the former, well, then, you know, it's not necessarily apples to apples to make that comparison on the traditional side. Does that make sense? Is that getting a little too? Oh, no, no, no. I, I think that makes pretty good sense. And um, I mean, it, it is it is a wonky discussion to have. And, you know, let's be honest, uh, you know, not much in this viewership game is apples to apples anymore. Right. So, you know, Nielsen is constantly tweaking their their um, survey data and, and how they um you know how they kind of extrapolate that out to to a viewership number i i will say i think this kind of does get back at something that i, I believe is john kosner said in our podcast last week i think you you don't publish a 24 percent overall growth without knowing certainly that there was actually some level of substantial right. growth i think john said last week that you know sports viewing is habitual um it's something that is it's just kind of innate where 
you know, you know to tune into a certain place at a certain time to watch the game. And I think Amazon really did benefit from going into their second year and people really just knowing that, all right, well, Thursday night football is on Amazon now. I just open Amazon Prime. It's right there. It's very simple to get to. I think there was some level of viewership increase just from the familiarity aspect. Yeah. Part of that, obviously, probably skewed to older viewers, as you said, but the measurement stuff is is very, very interesting. And it is um, kind of a compelling argument that the number this year looked similar to Amazon's internal numbers from last year. Yeah, that's actually a good point as well. Um, I mean, I do think there was real growth. I do. I mean, I'm not saying this was all, you know, fake or exaggerated. There was real growth. But, you know, I mean, uh, with Amazon, with Nielsen, you don't really know really like how apples to apples, as you said, things are anymore. Um, and I know that there's been a perception of maybe not favoritism, but that Amazon was getting advantages from Nielsen that other networks weren't. And so that does kind of influence my skepticism a bit because you know, Nielsen was going to incorporate the first party data to begin with. Other networks had the opportunity to have that done as well. Did not take Nielsen up on that. Uh, obviously, Peacock is now working with Nielsen this year. Uh, I assume the opportunity for uh, that Amazon had will be one for them. And obviously, that's a great entryway. We haven't talked about the Peacock uh, viewership for the Bills Chargers game yet. And, uh, you know, let's briefly mention that 7 million viewers lower than any Thursday night football game this season, but certainly quite high given the penetration that Peacock has, uh, you know, Peacock is in, given the fact that Peacock is not in nearly as many homes as Amazon. Let's think about them like cable networks. Let's use the subscriber base as a, you know, as a proxy for homes you're in. Amazon is in well over hundred million theoretically because people sign up for Amazon Prime. I suspect that a lot of people who have Amazon Prime for delivery don't know they have Amazon Prime Video and don't know what Amazon Prime Video is. Most of the country is, you know, not hip to all the, you know, streaming services yet. Most people are still watching Regis and Kathy Lee on, uh, you know, uh, on, on mornings. And granted, neither are there anymore, but you get the idea, right? Um, so I, I think with that caveat, Amazon is in hundreds of millions of homes, theoretically, or has hundreds of millions of subscribers, you know, Peacock has what at last count 28 million. Yep. Yep. Uh, obviously that grew for the game. There's no way that that game air took place and Peacock only had 28 million subscribers and a, a, a high number of people probably subscribed to Peacock for that game, but you're still probably talking about 30 something million. And so to get, Seven million viewers out of that base, that's not bad. Uh, let, let's remember about a million of that viewership number right. was from the local affiliates in that's Buffalo true. and Los Angeles. So that is a pretty substantial fraction of of that uh, 7.3 million number for Bill's Chargers. But nonetheless, I mean, you're getting around 6 million on Peacock for their first ever exclusive NFL game. I, I don't think that can be considered a failure. Uh, oh, no. it, I'm sure it drove plenty of uh, subscriptions as well. And, you know, God only knows how many more they're going to drive when they actually have a, a pretty significant game coming up in the wild card round. Uh, well, I'm but sure, it's I'm... vulnerable, though. That game is vulnerable because it's going to be the least watched yes. NFL playoff game probably ever. And to me, 
I mean, I I I thought the NBA should have counter programmed. They would lose the head to head, obviously. But like that's an opportunity to, you know, get a pretty decent Saturday night audience during the NFL playoffs because people will be looking for the game. They won't be able to find it. And it's like, well, I'll just watch this. It, there's that's the one time when I think you could get away with counter programming an NFL playoff game is this this one on Peacock coming up. Because that's gonna be what, 14, 15 million viewers, maybe? I mean, that's that's big, but it's not insurmountable. I mean, it's going to be way lower than the Thanksgiving or or Christmas games that we've seen in the NFL. And we have not talked about the Christmas numbers either. Here we are on January 3rd, uh, forgetting that we've not been on the year since then. So obviously, this was a big deal uh, to a lot of people. There's a lot of people out there who need the NBA to do badly. Uh, they need it to happen. Um, I'm not even speaking about uh, Ethan Strauss or, you know, uh, I'm talking more like the, the the ones who have a real political beef with the NBA, uh, and as I'm, they were quite thrilled. It was a it was a beautiful Christmas for them because the NBA did not get very good numbers. Uh, obviously, this is the worst scenario for the NBA going forward on Christmas is when Christmas falls on a Monday, because not only do you have three NFL games, one of them's on ABC, and so you don't have the ability to do what they did last year when they simulcast all five games on ABC and got, frankly, pretty healthy numbers out of it. Um, you know, obviously, any year where ABC and ESPN have a Christmas game in the NFL is going to be a bad year for the NBA, at least until the next uh, rights deal. One thing the NBA should consider is if ESPN and ABC have to air a game on Christmas on, on a Monday, when it falls on a Monday, see if, you know, you can get ESPN to lobby for an afternoon game a five o'clock game that leads directly into the NBA at 830. The most watched NBA game ever on Christmas was one that aired immediately after the NFL. It was Orlando and the Bulls in 1993, the only NBA Christmas game with a direct lead in from the NFL. And it did uh, the largest Christmas audience yet. So if you're the NBA, that might help you. But that's the only way you're going to do any kind of number when Christmas falls on a Monday. I will just quickly add, next NFL Christmas, I don't expect them to compete next year. Uh, and let me actually sneak in why I don't expect them to compete next year. These Christmas games weren't even the most watched of week 16. The NFL's goal is not to beat the NBA. The NFL enjoys beating the NBA. The NFL enjoys beating baseball. But the NFL is not going to say, hey, just so we stick it to the NBA, let's have teams play on Wednesday in week 16. It's just not going to happen. And the viewership is great for the league, but it's not essential. Like I said, they got bigger numbers on Christmas Eve than Christmas Day. 27, 29 million viewers. The NFL has this season anyway, regularly gotten there. And I don't see winning Christmas being so integral to the NFL that they're willing to do Monday games in week 16 that will meaningfully impact the thing that is the golden goose, the on-field product. The NFL will go as far as it can to exploit every opportunity, but they're not going to do something that would harm the on-field product. But then again, Thursday night football exists. We've just accepted that it doesn't harm the, the on-field product, but you get my point. Yeah, that, that Thursday night football is is limited, right? Um, I mean, well, actually now teams can play in it twice in a, in a single season, but it used to be uh, only once. Wednesday, especially this late in the season, I think that's just a bridge too far. Uh, and and they, they don't need to do it, as you said. Um, it's not like they have some vendetta against the NBA. 
Now, the, the people who are talking about the ratings comparisons do have a vendetta against the NBA, and they project onto the NFL that same impulse. The NFL does like winning these head-to-heads, just no doubt. But it's not like, we got to beat the NBA. We got to beat baseball. We got we to crush the World Series. The NFL will... One thing the NFL has done, particularly with the World Series, is say, hey, we're not going to help these guys beat us. That's why they took the the double header away from Fox during the World Series because the World Series beat them a couple times, right? And it was like, wait a second, we're helping them beat us with our lead in. Why are we doing that? That's kind of where the NFL's mindset is. The NFL said, wait a second, Christmas gets a lot of great numbers. Why are we not competing there? It was not, we got to stick it to Rob Manfred and Adam Silver. We got to show the NBA who's boss. Like that's that's for the weirdos online. That's not how the NFL's doing it. And they're not going to, in my view, the NFL's greed is, is spectacular, but they're not going to do something like create a real inconvenience for players and teams this late in the season. They've had one Wednesday game, even, well, two Wednesday games, like all time. One was when they were afraid of competing with Obama uh, and his acceptance speech in 2012 because they got smoked by John McCain four years earlier. I mentioned that uh, before. So they moved the opening night game to Wednesday, which doesn't matter. It's the opening night game. There's no game before. And then one was the COVID year when the Thanksgiving game got postponed all the way to the Wednesday of the following week. Uh, And that's it. I I don't see the NFL competing on that Wednesday at all. So next year, the NBA will be home free. Year after, the NBA will still be in a better spot because I suspect the, the, the primetime game will be on Amazon. And I don't think between now and two years from now, Amazon's going to get to the point where it can average 27 or 28 million. So the NBA will get a little reprieve the next time that these two leagues go head to head, especially since they'll be able to put all three games on ABC. And, and again, the primetime game will face less competition because it'll be Amazon. That's my point of view. And you never know. The NFL could give one of these Christmas games to Peacock one year. And so there'll be opportunities. It'll be hard for the NBA to compete on Christmas, but most years uh, should not be as bad as this year was. Yeah, you're certainly right. And they they have a few years of, I guess, uh, scheduling advantage, um, well, at, at least compared to this year. And the, the one thing I would like the NBA to, to try is something that we suggested a couple of weeks ago, is that maybe do a 10 a.m. tip-off time uh, in New York or, you know, Atlanta or somewhere on the East Coast where uh, you can kind of take advantage of the lack of NFL competition, at least for a few hours before that 1 p.m. start uh, for the NFL. So the NBA has a little wiggle room here. Um, the numbers from this year, I think, might have been a little bit more underwhelming than we anticipated, uh, especially um, on the bottom end of that, you know, really only getting 1.3 million for Sixers heat and, and, uh, and 1.5 for Maverick Suns. I mean, that for Christmas day audiences, that's not what the NBA is looking for, but of course uh, with the heavy NFL competition, um, there's not much you can do. Exactly. And I will say this, Christmas still produced the largest audience of the NBA season. It was still worth the league's while to compete on that day. Uh, you, uh, the league averaged 28 mil, uh, 28, 2.8 million viewers for its Christmas games, which is obviously higher than the overall average this season. Uh, yeah, the Christmas games put the league behind the eight ball. I haven't done the calculations yet, but I suspect viewership probably now, which was up maybe you know modestly from last year, probably now either down or flat. Um, but 
the good thing is starting today, we're taping Wednesday, they have five straight primetime Wednesday night games on ABC. Uh, so that should more than make up for it. Um, and uh, just speaking of that really quickly, I would say I'm not expecting massive numbers for these ABC windows because they're non-exclusive. Uh, they're not necessarily great games. Today's Bulls Knicks. Uh, but I do expect they'll do better, obviously, than the ESPN ones. The only concern I would have if I was the NBA is the overlap because these games will overlap with games on ESPN. So you might end up with an ABC game doing well, but the ESPN game not doing as well as it otherwise would have. But, you know, we'll see what happens with these ABC windows. Certainly. Well, John, we, we covered about two weeks worth of uh, pretty important ratings uh, this week. Um, is there anything else you'd like to you know highlight before we sign off here? Yeah, well, let's not forget about the announcement this week. The USFL and XFL have combined to be the UFL. Uh, this is uh, interesting. I think we're just whistling past the graveyard with this stuff. This is another new name, another new format, another change. The Alliance of American Football is five years old, not even five years old. That was 2019, February. So you have the Alliance of American Football, the first reboot of the XFL, then the USFL, then the second reboot of the XFL, and now we have the UFL. And yeah, okay, it's based on existing leagues, but it's just kind of, it says a lot. It says a lot, and I don't know why we shouldn't expect more change to come. I don't know. that This one feels like it's the one that's here to stay. Given the backers, Fox, ESPN, given the fact that the USFL had two leagues, two years of operation. The XFL had one. Um, you know, they're going to kind of, I guess, pick and choose their best franchises. What is what it seems are their most successful franchises. Um, and and honest, honestly, John, you know, we said this a lot early on in the podcast when we were talking a lot about spring football. I mean, there's no room for two leagues, so having one league in and of itself is just a huge advantage. Yeah, I, I think you make a, a good point in terms of, obviously, the backing of Fox, uh, you know, the fact that they have all the, the rock and all that. But I, I'm still pretty skeptical. Uh, to me, you know, what we're talking about is just too much change, too much instability, and uh, no, no one needs this. I mean, the numbers at best have been fine. There's been a couple of nice numbers every now and again, but there's no need this uh, oh trust me i'm not trying to say this is going to be a big viewership play i i'm just saying i think the ufl as a league will be here for at least a few years like i you know i'm not going to say they're going to fold like next year or two years from now I, th I think they have you know somewhat of a long tail just given it it's a bit of a breeding ground for you know production enhancements for the nfl there's value in that um, production costs overall are pretty low for these. So, you know, they're not really breaking the bank to um, to produce these games. I'm not sure they're making much money off the league, but you know, if they can pull in 700, 800, 900 thousand viewers on you know Tuesday night windows in you know the middle of April, like you know, what's who says no? Yeah, I mean, it's there's no problem with it. It's fun. I'm sure people like covering it. Uh, the Battle Hawks are a big deal in St. Louis. They don't have anything else in terms of football. Um, you know, uh, I, I just, 
one, I would point out, as Pat McAfee did on College Game Day when The Rock came to discuss this, the XFL seemed to be much more established and, and better off than the USFL, just playing in home markets alone. Um, so, you know, that's one aspect. Um, I also think the branding was helpful. You know, there's a reason why they they called the new Frasier reboot Frasier and they didn't call it Dr. Crane or something, you know? I mean, you, you want to be able to tap into what people already are familiar with. Uh, so to tap into the XFL brand that had resonance, that meant something to people, and the USFL brand that also did. You know what the UFL is? The UFL is a league that lasted like two minutes, like in 2009, right? Uh, you know, there's no brand nostalgia there. And even though apparently they're going to still use the names for the conferences, I just, I find it a little bit much. I will say uh, for certain that, uh, you know, it justifies its existence from the rating standpoint, but ratings are not everything. All right, John, I think that's a good place to leave today's episode. Why don't you go ahead and close us out? Yeah, well, welcome back to uh, SMW's coverage of sports media all year long, 2024. The third year of the podcast, second year with Drew. Looking forward to hopefully having a great year. It's an election year, so hunker down. You know, that's all I can say. Hunker down for that nonsense. But uh, looking forward to the NFL playoffs. Always an exciting time of year. And, uh, you know, the NFL is looking good. They've got 20 teams that are still in, uh, in contention for a playoff berth. And people want to talk about uh, why the NFL is doing so well. That's a good place to start. 20 teams still in contention for the playoffs at every Week 18. All right, we'll be talking about those Week 18 games next week and, of course, the college football playoff national title game and much more on this podcast. Thanks for listening, and uh, have a great rest of the week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.